for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. people under persecution promised a great future and hope by Paul and they're going uh Paul we had great hope for the future we thought when we signed up for this Jesus thing the whole glorious kingdom coming was like tomorrow and instead life kind of sucks what's going we must have missed the second coming and Paul here is trying to divert their attention away from their experience and back to their great expectations this is Sozo Church. I want to turn our attention to, to the word. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, through 13. This has kind of become our platform that we've launched through uh, the book of Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, based on these verses. And here's what it says. I'm gonna, just going to read this to us. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So God is speaking to us. He says, I have plans for you, Plans, the, the plans I have for you, they're, they're plans for wholeness or the newer update, they change it to welfare. I like wholeness better, but that's just because I'm right. Uh, plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, God, I... I pray in this moment, in this season, at this time, for us as your people to not be distracted, to not be pulled aside, to not be pulled down, to not, to not lower the calling that you have given us to be your ambassadors and your messengers, your ministers of grace and hope and truth and love to not lower ourselves, lower our expectation, lower our thinking, lower our hope and our faith in our lives down to a level where we engage in a way that would not be fruitful or productive. But God, I also pray that we would not withhold the very message of hope in the midst of the noise. God, teach us how to navigate in this time. Lord, this is I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just too young, but I, I, don't, I don't know how to navigate in this. So I ask for grace to navigate the way you did, Jesus. You, you lived, Jesus, in a time as you walked the earth filled with political and racial and ethnic and, and, and socioeconomic difficulties and struggles, and you navigated that with perfect, action. And so, God, we ask that we would be a reflection of you. We would live like you, respond like you, lead like you. 
that we might glorify and exalt you. God, in these moments, I pray that you would speak clarity, speak wholeness. God, direct our, our affection toward you, direct our lives toward your purpose. God, come and speak to us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to respond, feet to walk out what it is you say to us. that you might be glorified and exalted in all things. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. So by way of, of uh, reminder, this passage uh, is in a, what I call a bad news chapter of the Bible. Uh, I used to think when people would quote these verses at me, when I would be going through a hard time, I used to think the most appropriate response to them would be to punch them in the throat. Because I thought they were giving me good news from a good news chapter in my bad situation, which um, my fleshly response to that is a punch in the throat. Um, that's not good, by the way. That's confessional. That's, not, that's, that's explanation, not exhortation. That's me trying to explain to you. That, that's, that's what I thought. But what we found uh, the first week of this series when we launched into uh, the beginning of this series way back at the beginning of the year um, we, we saw that this is, a, this is good news in the midst of a bad news chapter. These are people, the people of God at this point, the nation of Israel at this point in their history have been sent into exile because of their choices. Their rebellion led to God's response of their exile. And they're in a bad spot. They're in a bad situation. They are justly, rightfully, uh, uh, wholly being punished by God. And yet, in the midst of that, God gives them good news. And I believe, we're literally, that, that future and hope, that's where I got the, the thought, expectation. God is speaking to them to try to give them an expectation. And, and I believe that it is a right and good thing when we go through bad, hard, difficult times to keep our attention on a holy, come on, expectation. So my goal, really, um, in the midst of, of this series, uh, my goal is to elevate your hope and reveal the glorious future God has for you. That, that's, that's my goal in this series. I get that from this text, from the idea that, look, even in a, in a time, in a situation where, where we may have gotten ourselves into a bad spot, God still has a future. God still has a hope. I'm gonna just generalize. He has a great expectation. He, he wants us to expect. Why would God give us this message if he did not hope that it would elevate our expectation? To put it quite short, brief, to the point, I want you to have a great expectation. Now, I wanna unpack this for just a moment if you'll let me. I said expectation, not experience. Much is being sold today under the label of Christianity that only wants to deal with your experience. And here's my problem with that. Much of your experience in your life, I really hope this doesn't cause anyone to be shocked because hopefully I'll live long enough. Much of your experience, much of the experiences you will have in your life are utterly out of your control. A couple people were just like, oh, yeah. No, really, I, the, the, if, if you haven't figured that out yet, go try to drive on the road right now. Both my wife and I 
had the joyous experience this morning of realizing that we were no longer in control of our vehicles as we drove on the icy roads. I'm just doing the right thing, man. I'm not speeding. Hello, come on. I'm not speeding. I'm not driving like a maniac. I'm just driving down the road. And all of a sudden I was like, I didn't realize my car is facing this way and going that way. Thank you, Jesus. That's the way it is in life. Uh, you, you, sometimes you could just be going down the road, minding your own business, just doing your own thing, doing nothing wrong. Come on. Just traveling through life, and you start to skid. You start to slide out of the way. Not even mentioning the fact that the, the biggest danger, in my opinion, on, of winter driving is other people winter driving. I'd be okay if it wasn't for other people winter driving. That's the way it is in life. You, you, you may screw up your own life, or come on, somebody else might screw up your life, or other things might happen, and your experience might ebb and flow. And I want to propose to you, that's the way God designed it. Life ebbs and life flows. If somebody's trying to sell you that, you know, pick Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true, they're not preaching the gospel to you. It's not about, you know, add some Jesus seasoning to your life and everything will taste good. That's not the message of the gospel. And that is not at all what we mean when we say we ought to have a great expectation. I'm not saying my goal is to give you a great experience. Because I don't know what's going to come out of left field into your life. But we can control our expectation. I believe expectation is better than experience. Because when we set our expectation on the person, the word, the work, the finished work of Jesus, our expectation has staying power that our experience just doesn't. I believe that our our focus should be on having a great expectation, not a good expectation. It has been said by people wiser than me that the greatest enemy of great is good. We think it's bad. I want to have great, and so I need to get rid of bad things in my life. No, often the problem with many believers is we substitute the bad things in our life for good things, and we miss out on the great things God has for us. Because we're unwilling to leave the place we are to get to the place that God has called us. You do realize this, right? You have to leave where you are to get to where you're going. (laughs) And the grass might be greener on the other side, but you'll still have to mow it. People are like, wait, hold on. We, we have to leave where we are to get to where God has called us to be. You have to leave the good things to get to the great. You have to leave your good expectation of, here's, here's a good expectation. Pay off all my debt, buy a nice house, retire young, die pain-free. That's a good expectation. Nothing wrong with that expectation. It's not a great expectation. That's not great. I, I, I fell in love with a, with a Bible teacher named John Piper when I heard him when I was, I must have been eight, 17, 18, 19 years old. He preached a message at a passion event I was at called Don't Waste Your Life. And he, he points out the massive push of our culture to try to amass a pile of stuff before we die and gave a perspective I had not seen before, which is why would we want to spend the last moments of our earthly existence before we stand before God buying stuff? 
It's a good expectation, don't get me wrong, but it's not a great expectation. I don't want to stand before God and say, look at my giant retirement account I was able to amass. Stand before God and say, look at the life that you lived through me and the grace that you poured out through me. And and I know I wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but Lord, I tried to surrender as much as I possibly could to your purpose, to my life, to your eternal perspective, to your greater expectation for my life than anyone I could possibly have. I believe God's expectation for our life is far superior than what we could possibly imagine because it has eternal purpose and eternal ramifications. So that's my goal. My goal is to give you a great expectation, not a, not a great experience, not a good expectation, but a great expectation, one tethered to and tied to Jesus and the future that he has for us because it's only in his future that he is both glorified and our good is accomplished. So we've attempted a journey through the book of 2 Thessalonians to accomplish this. So if you have a Bible or a flat screen with a Bible on it, you can go ahead and turn to 2 Thessalonians. I want to just review real briefly where we're at at this point. We're in chapter two, so chapter one, Paul's greeted them. Paul has encouraged them in their faith. He's called them out as people who are walking by faith, in faith. These are, these are people who love Jesus, but here's, here's the reality of their circumstances. Their experience right now is not a good one. Because of their profession of faith, because of their their love for Jesus, because of their uh, allegiance to the supremacy of Christ in all things, they are under genuine, real persecution. They are being being threatened, Their, their life and their livelihood is being threatened by people who oppose the message of Jesus. And they're beginning to freak out. They're saying, look, this, this, this life, Paul, that you preach to us, this life in Christ, this, this trust and faith, not in our performance, but in his perfection, is not leading to the experience that we thought it would. Things have gotten worse, not better. So they write to Paul, kind of freaking out a little bit, and Paul sends what is essentially a, a very short letter to them addressing their concerns. So he, he encourages them in the first chapter that you're a people of faith, keep your faith in God. But last week we, we talked about the fact that, that he encouraged them to stick with what God has called them to. Don't, don't, don't remove yourself from the pressure that God has placed in your life. That pressure is there to produce and make the faith that you have fruitful and productive. And now he's gonna move to address specific concerns that they have. So chapter two, verse one says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Catch this, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. Pause, so this, this is the concern they have. The, the concern that the Thessalonians had was this. The poo has hit the fan to such a degree, we think we are living in the book of Revelation. I mean, I read that Left Behind book and it really seems like this is it. By the way, it seems like that's the only thing Christians want to make movies about, by the way. <laughs> what can we write about? Let's do a movie about the end times. We did that already. Let's do it again. Um, 
It seems like that's what this is. Can I just point out real fast, this has nothing to do with my message, but just let me point out, that's not a new thing. I found, uh, I, my, my great grandpa was a, was a circuit riding preacher when he was very young, and uh, information I didn't find out till I became a pastor and was given some of his uh, old Bibles and books, and, and in one of his Bibles was a journal. And as I read his journal, he's dead, so he didn't care. Um, I read his journal, um, I came to the realization that he did not believe at all that he would die. He truly believed that he would see the physical coming of Jesus on the earth. It is a normal thing for Christians when, when bad stuff starts to happen to jump to the conclusion that it's the end. Let me, let me rephrase. It's normal for people to think that way, especially men who get sick. It has been said, scientific studies have been done and it has been proven that when a woman is in labor, she can almost feel how hard it is for a man to have the flu. Um, this is it, I'm done, it's over, I'm gonna die. We kind of get that way as Christians. Things go bad and we think this must be the end and Paul here encourages them not to, not to be discouraged, not to lose heart, and not to be deceived. Do you get how big of a bucket he gave for things that could deceive them? Like, like your pastor gets up and preaches to you that it's the end times, don't listen to him, a message. A spirit comes and he gets up and prophesies, don't listen to him. If you think I wrote you a letter saying this, don't listen to it. Don't be discouraged, don't be distracted, don't be confused, don't be deceived. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed. He's the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God and object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Sorry, Carmen, there is no boxing match at the end. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, I'd like to talk to you under the topic this morning. This is not the end. Not the end. Hate to burst somebody's bubble. Jesus ain't coming back today. Oh, how do you know? Because I just read it. This is not the end. Now, I gave it the subtitle. The struggle's real. Well, um, what I'm trying to say is I understand that we're in a struggle, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of the difficulties we may face in this life, but this is not the end, this is, not, this is not how the story ends. This is not how it all goes down. This idea of 
the world is just going to go to hell in a handbasket and then God's gonna, you know, God is somehow, this is a thought I had. When, when I was raised in, in the church, this is kind of what I was taught. God is up enjoying himself in heaven with angels and the glory and angels with all kinds of weird wings. He's up there and he must be having such a good time that he forgot about us down here and, and the devil is just beating up on everybody and one day, God will look down from his proverbial throne and look down and go, dang. Gabriel, come here, it's bad down there. Kind of forgot. That devil's way meaner than I remember. He's just kicking butt. Oh, there goes another Christian. Oops. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, back in the back. Peter will see you back there. It's bad down there. How many Christians we got left? Six? Do the rapture thing. Do the rapture thing before they're all gone. Let's fast forward, book of Revelation, go. That's how I thought it was gonna go down. And Paul here, I believe, well, let me, I'm gonna get ahead of myself. Paul is not, Paul's goal is not to give precise clarity on the details concerning the coming of Christ or gathering together to him or the Antichrist. Everybody go, aw, you are all hoping. Some of y'all read ahead in the book, you're like, woohoo, we get to talk about the end times. No, we don't. Because here's the deal, this text See, I'm bound as a preacher to the Bible and what the text in front of us says. And it is clear when you read this in context, Paul's goal here is not to give clarity to any of this. These are people under persecution, promised a great future and hope by Paul, and they're going, uh, Paul. We had great hope for the future. We thought when we signed up for this Jesus thing, the whole glorious kingdom coming was like tomorrow. And instead... Dude, life kind of sucks. What's going on? We must have missed the second coming. And Paul here is trying to divert their attention back to, away from their experience and back to their great expectation. Are you with me this morning? Are you listening? You're just depressed because you thought we were gonna get into end times theology. Like, So let me, let me discuss this just for a brief moment though. Because this does bring up and give me an opportunity to address uh, some, some specifics when it comes to these type of issues, be it end times theology or other unclear things. There are other texts in the Bible that make, make some things very clear, but uh, I wanna just give you real fast, this is, this is not the message, this is just free upgrade. This is just supersizing it, a few extra fries. Um, when, you, when you hit texts like this, that you go, man, Paul, you're not really giving me like a whole lot of clarity on this, right? Are you with me on this? There's not, there's, there's no like, you know, there's, there's no specificity in this on all this stuff that he's talking about. He's referencing things, but he's not really unpacking them. So here's my four guidelines when you hit a text like this. One, remember mystery is a good thing. Mystery is a good thing. We serve a God who, who from where we sit is unknowable to us in his totality. You understand that? We understand that Christ has come and in him the fullness of God dwells bodily so God is knowable but fully understandable, no. So why would we think that we can fully understand all details about all things? I don't know about you, but I have a hard time remembering where I put my keys and yet I think I can somehow tack down every detail of the person, nature, and work of God throughout the entirety of human history. I'm just, I just know he woke me up this morning. Okay, mystery is a good thing. Don't, don't get obsessed about trying to tack down every little piece of detail. Second, let the clear inform the unclear. 
So where you have clarity, I don't ever mean to say in mystery that we just can't know anything. We just live in a fog of a haze of an unknowing, whatever. No, there are things we can know and let the things that we know for certainty and with clarity in the scriptures inform those things that seem to be unclear. What I mean by that is make sure your theology is consistent. It's called systematic theology. I know everyone's going to sleep. Systematic theology. Make sure that, that what we think about God, by the way, theology, some people are staring at that word, I can see it. Theology, you're like, oh, I'm not a theologian. If, if you are a Christian, you are a theologian. Theology just means the way we think about God. If you think about God, you're a theologian. You just may suck at it. I love you. Make sure your theology is consistent. The way you think about God, make sure that things aren't off to, to, to the side. You, you read a text and you go, man, that doesn't really get where that fits into here. Let your systematic theology guide you. And then when all else fails, when in doubt, trust Jesus. <laughs> okay, don't, don't let your dive. If you're, if you're really into end times theology, because here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to give you the impression that I think it's worthless studying about the end. That's not at all what I mean. This text doesn't go there in detail, so we're not gonna go there in detail, but if you're gonna go to those places based off this text, jump into Revelation and Daniel and some other places, I just wanna give you some, some, some markers, but don't get so far down that road, hear me please, I love you, that you begin to let yourself doubt and slip and fall because things just get unclear. Remember, mystery's a good thing. Let what you know, clarify what you don't know. Make sure everything's lining up with a consistent systematic theology that you would hold to, and in all things, trust Jesus, amen? Okay, so Paul here, what's this slide? Paul's goal, there we go. Uh, Paul's goal is to redirect our focus back to our great expectation in Jesus. So that's what Paul's writing about here. He, he, he goes into this and pretty much here's what he says. He, he jumps in and he goes, look, guys, I, I know that you wrote me saying you think maybe either, either Christ is, has already come or he's right about to come and this is the end. And he, he reminds them a few things. He, and I'm not trying to go into any kind of specific order or structure here, but really, as we read through this, I think the biggest thing he's trying to remind them is, listen, the Holy Spirit is still at work and still fully in control. We, we, can, we can hit hard times, difficult situations, trials, testings, and troubles, and go, well, God just must be on a break today, because clearly my life is so messed up that God must just be on a coffee break. And our pain can distort our perspective and our perception and we can miss out on what God is doing and what he's trying to work in us because we just assume that he's out of control. Can I give you some really good news? God is never out of control. An out of control God would be very, very scary. Hello, somebody. The Holy Spirit's still in control. He talks about this like you guys are all worried about, you know, the toes of the Antichrist. And listen, the Holy Spirit is restraining all that's happening right now. I know you think it's bad, but listen, the Holy Spirit is here. He is at work. He is in control. You can trust him. Don't, don't freak out and go sideways on me here, guys. Paul's saying, listen, come on back. Listen, can I just... Let's put this in our backyard. Yes, our society in this nation right now has gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Let's just call a spade a spade. I think that's the most biblically theological way I can say it. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It's somewhere in the back. And y'all are all thinking I'm talking about the other group that you're not a part of. I'm talking about your group too. I back-talked my Grammy one time. And she looked at me, and she said these words. <laughs> My grandma is about four feet tall, 
She was a farmer's wife her whole life. She might be listening to this. I love you, Grammy. She wanted to be a cop. I've heard story that she was a part of the first group of women accepted to be field agents in the FBI. Instead, she married a farmer, so her life went a little different way. But you get the idea of who my grandma is? I backtalked her once. Here's what she said. Child, you must have unscrewed your head. <laughs> my holiness Nazarene grandma said that to me. I never backtalked her again. I want to stand up on national television <laughs> and look at our country and say, child, you must have unscrewed your head. We, we, we have gone wonky and sideways. But God is still in control. Let me put it in, in very appropriate this week lingo. The incumbent is still on the throne. There was no new inauguration in heaven this morning or Friday, whenever it was. It didn't happen. Jesus is still ruling and reigning from his throne. Come on, somebody. This is good news. And Paul's trying to say here to these people, I know things have gone bad. I know things have gone sideways. I know that, that, that things seem to be difficult, but the Holy Spirit is still at work. You, you think it's bad now. I get it. But listen, God is still at work. He tries to show them, look, guys, you're getting your gaze to focused down on your current situation. God is doing things on a global scale. Lift your eyes. Don't let your pain deceive you. Don't let, don't let your pain pull you into thinking things that appease yourself into having some excuse to just disengage from life. We're going to get into that in more detail as we move into this text, but the, the, the next few weeks, but he's trying to encourage them to stay engaged in what God is doing. Are you hearing me this morning? It's not about, well, Paul, tell us all the details about how everything's gonna go down. No, 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 that's not, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, guys, look, you're, you're, you're letting the unclear fog up what is clear. God is at work, God has a purpose, and God's purpose will be fulfilled. I love the fact that he includes in here, yes, there is deception, yes, there is lawlessness, yes, there is even a spirit at work in that, yes, it appears from this text that will take a specific bodily form in an individual person who will lead people away from from, from not only true worship in a biblical sense, but in all areas of religion will lead people away and try to get them to worship him specifically. And, and those things will happen and, and things will get bad maybe and stuff might go wonky. But listen, in the end, when Jesus comes back, all it will take is the breath of his mouth to deal with the problem. We like the idea of a battle. Especially dudes, come on. I need, some, I need some agreement from the men in the room here so that ladies don't think I'm just being crazy. I want Jesus to come down and duke it out with him. I like Carmen's song. I want to see that happen. I want the end to be rocky. Right? I want to see Sylvester Stallone beat up the Russian. Come on. I was raised in the 80s. Russians are bad guys. If you're Russian, I love you. I'm not saying I'm just like, that's like communist, Russian, bad. Bam, that's just where I go. Any other 80s kids in the room? Come on. You're all like, nope, I don't know what you're talking about. I love everybody. 
because Jesus is good. So do I. I want that. And so therefore, I can sometimes let my theology slip and not see God as totally, supremely powerful. Because I'm hoping for some kind of showdown. And Paul reminds them, guys, that's not the way it's going to go down. You think you're locked in some struggle of the cosmos. It ain't a struggle. God is working out a purpose in the earth today. And when his purpose is fulfilled, he'll shut the thing down and it won't be hard for him. Hello, somebody. And the last thing, I think, I'm going to be honest. I'm reading into the text I'm, I'm reading something in here because I try to put myself in their situation and their perspective. This is where my brain goes. I'm under, I'm under persecution. I'm in pain. When I personally, Mark, when I go through pain, when I experience difficulty, I'll be real, I'm immature. When I experience disappointment, Things don't, my experience doesn't match my expectation. Here's where my, my, my heart goes. I'm under the wrath of God. Clearly, I have screwed up so bad that God is just done with me. Well, you know, man, I, my friends and family, they, they would be following Jesus if I just lived better. My, my finances, well, man, God would be blessing me more if I just, you know, was better. If I, if I just didn't get angry like I do, maybe then. If I didn't compare myself to other people, I'm sinning by comparing myself to others. And if, if I would get that out of the way, then God would really be able to bless me and use me. But since, since that's not happening and instead bad things are happening, clearly I am under the judgment of God in my life. These people pegged it to 11 by saying, clearly I have been left behind. Often for me, it's just kind of where I live day to day. It's just clearly I have lost it. I have screwed up so bad. I have messed up so bad. I ain't even talking about before I came to trust Christ. I'm talking about after I came to trust Christ. I give Jesus a reason to send me to hell every single day. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll testify. And I think that's part of what's going on in the heart of the Thessalonians. They're saying, I, 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 we missed it. We messed up. We're under the wrath and the judgment and the punishment of God. It's the same thing that the, the, the Israelites were in, in in Jeremiah 29. They're in exile. God says, I sent you there. Make yourselves comfortable. And here's what I want, I want, I want you to hear me. Because I don't think I'm alone in this. Think we, I think we struggle. If we're gonna be real honest with ourselves, we struggle with this. I want you to hear me. On the cross, Jesus Christ absorbed the totality of the wrath of God for the people of God. You are not under the wrath of God. If you, if you have repented and trusted Christ, if you are in Christ, he is the umbrella for you against the wrath of God. So as you go through the struggles and the difficulties of your life, as you experience pain and hardship and, and hurts, as your experience does not line up with your expectation, do not let 
your heart or any kind of outside influence make you think, well, clearly I am not in, I'm not a part of, of God's people because if I was a part of God's people, then I wouldn't be going through this. It's folly, it's foolishness. It does not produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, now let me tension that statement. Paul tells us several times, the New Testament warns us abundantly to test yourself and see if you are in the faith. I'm not trying to give anybody in this room false assurance that you are saved, converted, redeemed, brought near to Christ, whatever term you want to use, born again. There we go. We'll use that one. Test yourself. But let that testing bring about assurance, not bring about doubt. Repent and believe and trust Christ. Our great expectation is in his triumph over all brokenness, pain, and shortcomings in this fallen world. That's where our expectation needs to be tied. That's where our hope needs to be placed. That's, that's where our future is leading us. In him, we have hope for a future and faith for the here and now. Regardless of our experience, in him, we have hope for our future and faith for the here and now. In him, we have hope for the future and faith for the here and now. In him, we have hope for the future and faith in the here and now. Are you hearing me, believer? Well, I'm hoping that, no, in him. Well, if we could just get in him. <laughs> in him is our hope. In him is our faith. In him is hidden our future. If I'm in him, I have hope and I have faith and I have a future. So if you're here and you're not in him, I love you. You don't have hope. You don't have a future. Your future is not one that you should expect great things from. Paul here is trying to lift their gaze. I'm trying to do the same thing. If you're here and you have not trusted Christ, if you're here and you're still trying to make your life better based on your performance, I'm, I'm here to warn you, you are going to fail. It is going to hurt, but it doesn't have to. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the creator of all things seen and unseen, came and lived a life that we could never live. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. All the areas that you mess up and I mess up, he didn't mess up in any of those ways. He lived in total perfection, complete surrender and submission to his father. He lived that perfect life. And he gave that perfect life on a cross for your sins and my sins. And because of his perfection, and his sacrifice, his death paid the debt that you and I have no ability to pay. But not only did he pay the price for our sin, pay the debt, he rose again three days later, eternally triumphant over all of his enemies. The victory has already been won. The price has already been paid. And he calls us now through the gospel to repent of our rebellion and trust in him.